Well, as you can see, I called the students. We all decided to wear the same shirt today. It was awesome. Thanks, guys. So very cool. They have had a wonderful Disciple Now weekend. Kevin's going to share a little bit about that with us this morning. Everyone together. Uh, there we go. Not just the students, but it's cool. Just I just loved uh, what we did in worship this morning. It was. I want to see more of this. I want to see more of this stuff going on. And I'm excited uh, just to be a part of this church to be able to serve here. It's been a blessing and an opportunity to be able to uh, be here this last year. And a little over here, I'm just excited what's got, what God is going to do with the students, with the children, with the rest of the church. So everyone's here. Get excited about it. This weekend couldn't have been done without the church. This weekend couldn't have been done without the church. With all the, the host homes, with the people that cooked food, Lindell, my wife, just there was a ton of people. I can't name everybody. There was a ton of people that helped. And if you helped and I didn't know, come and tell me because I want to tell you thank you. And the drivers, y'all did an awesome job for us. So thank you. So in, so in the church, there's a, you know, there's a lot of different people that come from a lot of different places, a lot of different backgrounds. I think that's important that we remember that and that the students do as well. And we're just excited that they're here. And I want to see, like I said, I want to see them being, being here more. So if you see a student here, maybe encourage them afterwards to keep coming to church, whether it's Wednesdays, Wednesdays, Sundays, or things, because the reason why we are all here, because we know Jesus changes lives. We know that Jesus changes lives. I know that Jesus changes lives. I tell them that all the time. But that's what we were talking about this weekend. You're probably looking at my shirt. You're like, what is this, run? Is it like a Nike shirt or whatever? It's not. It's not. So I'm going to read the verse for this weekend. It's in Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1, it says this. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance, every hindrance, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And I'm going to read this in two. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the source of of our perfecter of our faith. And something that the students learned was, yeah, we, we talked about running and we, we did, uh, we went and listened to sermons and stuff from Sammy Lopez. The, the really cool part was when we had these small groups and things that they talked about with their leaders in our breakout sessions and stuff like that. We talked about the fundamentals of being a Christian and how they haven't changed much since the beginning of Christianity. They haven't changed much. And there's people that are, you know, 13. There's people that are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 in this church right now. And it's talking about running with endurance. And it's talking about we, we need to keep doing these things to be able to learn how to run with endurance. And how do you keep doing it, students? How do you keep doing it till you're 90 years old? There's a lot of good examples to see in the church that have been doing it from when they, when, they get, when they first gave their life to Christ. So we have those examples, but what is the next step for y'all? What's the next step for y'all, church, to keep running with endurance with the Lord? Ask yourself what that is. But also, 
be able to show the students that as well. Because we want our church to grow in the Lord. And to grow with more students in, in every aspect. And not just students, but in every aspect of the church. We want the church to grow. And the best thing that you can do is pray for them. That's what we've been talking about this in the, uh, prayer open 24-7. The best thing that you can do is pray for the students. Pray for this church. Pray for the children's ministry. Pray for all the events and things we have going on because Jesus changes lives. And we want to be able to be a church that loves the community and loves people that aren't like us. We want to be able to love everyone and to be able to teach them how to run with endurance. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this weekend. It's been an awesome weekend that we could just come and learn how to do certain things that help keep us enduring in our run. But God, I just pray that some of the people in the church can maybe come alongside us in student ministry. If you feel like you're getting called there, we need people to come love the students, God. Just thank you for this church that all that's going on, all that's doing, and the people that are so generous in the church and loving. Just pray that you be with us and help us grow. Thank you for letting me be able to serve here and just to see what you're going to do at FBC Weatherford in this community. Lord. Just thank you for all the things you do and all the things you will do. Just stand and pray. Amen. Amen. Aren't you excited to have Kevin leading our student ministry? You're doing a great job. Thank you for your work in that. Well, we are going to um, talk a little bit about Disciple Now, but we're also going to tie it in with what we've been talking about, and that is our prayer series. We've been looking at prayer from the view of what's going on in the book of Acts, where it seems like God's answering prayers in such a way that makes us ask this question, well, does God hear my prayers? Have you ever thought about it that way? I mean, you, you look at the book of Acts and the things that are happening, and, and what, <laughs> what we read while we were singing and worshiping earlier was Acts chapter 3, and we see that Peter heals this man, and we see all the commotion that's happening around that. We see this amazing power that's going, and it causes us sometimes to ask that question, man, does God hear my prayers? Does he listen to me like that? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the message. But I want to uh, point something out in Acts chapter 4 as this story continues on. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read this for you. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, while they were speaking to the people, Peter was giving his message after everybody had gathered around to see what's happening with this lame man who's now walking. It says, while they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees, all the religious people showed up and confronted them because they were annoyed. <laughs> if it is our mission to annoy religious people, I'm in. I just want you to know that. So um, anyway, they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day when it was already evening. But look at verse 4. Look at what happens. It says, but many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So what does that mean? Well, we saw, first of all, this gathering of about 120 people who, after Jesus had died on the cross and he rose into heaven. They were gathered together waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes. It falls on these people. They start speaking and proclaiming the name of God and it goes from about 120 people now to about 3,000 people and we get a picture that it says these 3,000 people were out sharing the message of Christ 
every day and that God was adding to their number every day. And then we see this story happen where Peter has another chance to stand in front of a group of people and another 2,000 are added. So now we're over 5,000 people in just a matter of days that are following Christ and that are coming alongside the church. And there's something else that needs to be pointed out before we get into the rest of our message. And it's in verse 13 and 14. The religious leaders are talking to Peter and John. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And they're looking at them and they're seeing this man that's standing beside him. And they're healed. And this is what it says in verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So uneducated and untrained men. Now, i got to tell you, there's a little rule of mine that happens. When it starts raining, I just, when it starts raining, I feel like I have permission to preach until it stops raining. Because you don't want to go out in your car right now when it's wet, right? So I'll just keep, no, I'm just kidding. So we see in this passage that they're untrained, ordinary men that are standing here against the religious leaders, the ones who are schooled, the ones who are trained, who are supposed to be leading, and they're going, what in the world is going on? Here's this man that's been healed. And it makes us think sometimes, man, is my faith this strong? How do I get things happening like this in my life? I mean, I might not be able to heal a lame man, but I want to see God show up in my life in such a way that, man, I, I see stuff happening like this. And then when you look a little bit closer, (laughs) I feel the need because we read it a little bit earlier though, I I feel the need to kind of highlight Peter's message because there's a couple of things that we need to realize. First of all, I think we all kind of struggle sometimes in thinking, well, how do I go out and what do I have to say about God and what could I actually do to share with other people? You have no excuse because Peter and John were untrained and ordinary men, which takes care of me and everybody else. And God is using them in such a way. And then we think, well, what am I supposed to say? How do I say this? I'm going to tell you. We're going to review Peter's sermon. I'm going to tell you you might not want to use it. But I want to point it out for you this morning. Peter, the same Peter who Kevin was preaching a few weeks ago. And he talked to us about that, you know, if you remember, just about 40 to 50 days before this scene is happening. Peter had denied Christ in front of a little servant girl. And was scared to stand up for his faith was scared to talk to somebody else about Christ, was scared to say, yeah, I know this Jesus that you're talking about. He wanted to distance himself. He didn't want to have anything to do with him. And now you see Peter standing in front of the whole town who's gathered and religious leaders. And this is what he said in summary, okay? First thing he said in his message, you can follow me along in Acts 3, verse 13. He basically stands in front of the people and says, look, first thing you need to understand is that you handed over Jesus even though the leaders wanted to release him. So this is all your fault. What a lovely way to make friends. So that's where he started. He goes on in verse 14. He says, let me just paint the picture for you. You traded the son of God for a murderer. That's the exchange that you've made. He goes on in verse 15. He says, you killed the one who gave you life. Great message, Peter. This is awesome. I'm sure he's making a lot of friends and People are gathering around wanting to hear more about this. He goes on in verse 17, and he basically stands in front of the whole town and says, you're not real smart. You are, you are not real smart in the actions that have 
happened over the last few days. And then he says in verse 19, here's what you should do. You should repent. You should basically say, I am sorry for killing the Son of God, and you need to turn around, and you need to walk in a different way. <laughs> and then, remember, this untrained and ordinary, uneducated man stands in front of the people who are supposed to be educated and supposed to know this. And in verse 19, he starts turning this corner a little bit after that, and he says, now allow me to educate you in the stuff that you're supposed to be teaching everybody else. That's bold. That's a, that's a long way from saying to this little servant girl, I don't know Jesus, I don't want to be around him. He's saying, now allow me, allow me to educate you on what you're supposed to teach. And by the way, he also goes on and he says, oh, and you're wicked. Now, not necessarily the message that you want to go out from this place and gather people around and, and share with, unless God calls you to do that, that's, that's one thing. But let's look at it this way. Why would the whole town gather around and then sit here and listen while somebody shared a message that was like that, basically saying, all this is your fault, you killed the Son of God, you need to say you're sorry, you need to turn this around. Why would they stay and they would listen to that? Well, the answer is actually right in front of us. It's because his life and what was happening through it were bringing about things that were undeniable for people. He's standing next to a man who had been lame all of his life who he had just prayed and asked God to heal this man, and he did. And now everybody's standing there looking at it, so they're willing to listen at this point in time to what's going on. His life and his actions were undeniable. And here's the first thing that you need to hear this morning, and that students, I need you to listen to this and understand this. Your life is the first gospel that people will ever hear. Adults, your life is the first gospel that people will ever hear. Now, we know that the truth of God's word is right here in front of us. We know we have the Bible with us, but the, the culture that we're in today, people are looking at those who profess to have a faith in Jesus, and they're looking at us going, what's this all about? And so your life is actually the first gospel that people will hear. They're standing there looking at Peter, hearing what he professes to believe, but they're also looking at what's happening, and they're going, oh, there's, there's something going on here. To the tune of about 2,000 people going, I'm I'm in. On this, while all that's happening in the background is that these religious leaders are working hard to shut these guys down and to keep them aside, but they can't deny it. You know, here's the truth that when you're walking with Christ in a right way, people begin to see something in your life. They begin to see things that are happening in your life that gives you an opportunity to share with them not just what God's done in your life, but connects them with the greater story of what God has been doing in everybody's life. You see, that's, that's the key here, is that Peter didn't stand up when he had the opportunity. He didn't stand up and go, well, yeah, let me just tell you everything that God's been doing in my life and how he's worked in my life, and let me share with you my testimony and stuff. As soon as God started working through Peter and the crowd gathered around, the first thing that he did was he proclaimed the person of Jesus Christ. He said, you're looking at me and at my life, which tells its own story, but let me tell you what's going on beyond my life. Let me connect what you see is happening in my life with what's truly happening in God's word. And that's where the connection happens. You see, Peter wasn't up there trying to get people to follow certain rules. He was actually up there getting people to know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he was pointing people to. He was not focused on religion like the religious leaders were. He was, he was focused on a relationship. And so what he kept pointing to is, he goes, why are you looking at me like I did this? 
I didn't figure this out. I didn't do this. It is because I have a relationship with Jesus who listens to me, who hears me, who answers prayers because I follow him. And this is why this happened. And so Peter used his life to point people to the gospel. Let me just tell you something. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the most powerful tool that we have to share with other people is what God has done in our life. Because they'll listen to that first. And they'll be able to look at your life and say, well, is there anything to this? Because they'll look at your life and say, now there is something going on. That is different. Or maybe there is something there. That's what they see first. But then it's our responsibility then to connect that to Jesus. Now, it's not hard. I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute, too. Let me turn the corner here for just a second, though. And just remind us that my personal story connects people to the greater story. My personal story points others to the greater story of what God is doing. And and for us to be able to do that, it requires us to be able to speak the truth in love. And that's really your formula for boldness, right? Boldness is speaking the truth in love. And what happens to us a lot of the times is, is that there are some of us in this room that maybe we're wired for one of those better than we're wired than the other one. Maybe we're good at speaking the truth, but we're not necessarily good at that love part. And so for others, we may hear a lot of stuff that, that it maybe turns some other people off because we may be speaking truth, but it's not happening out of love. And so Paul even says that's like a clanging symbol. That's just annoying. That's just hard for people to hear. Well, let's just flip the turn, flip the page. There's some of us who are good at speaking love, but we have a hard time speaking truth to people, and we're just so nice that we don't do anything. And we're sending the same people in the same place that these people over here who are repelling people because of, of their truthfulness, these people are actually not helping anybody because, oh, I just, I just don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to say anything. You look at Peter right here, and I believe that this is a wonderful picture of speaking the truth in love. I'm going to tell you the truth. You killed Jesus. <laughs> but I'm also going to tell you the truth that he came to die for you so that you could know him, so that you could turn from your way, so that you could have life in the full. That's what it's all about, speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head in Christ. Now let's look at this a little bit different way. We, we tend to see stuff like this and we go, this is amazing. This church had 100 people and then Peter preaches this message and then they have 3,120 people and then now this stuff happens and he gathers another crowd and Peter preaches a message and there's 2,000 people and then the question that comes to everybody's mind is, Lyndall, why can't you preach like that? Amen? I mean, we all just go, it's pastor's fault that our church isn't growing. I mean, obviously, if he could preach like Peter, then he could reach 3,000 people in a day or if he could do this stuff. And, and we actually, we do tend to think sometimes, We like the grandiose. We like the big things. We want to see stuff happening in just big sweeping movements. We want to see things grow big and just move big and go big and just all this all the time. But I I would point out to you that the reason we see this growth happening is because it says very clearly that the 120, when they were just 120, were together. And they were working together, they were cooperating together, they were meeting together, they were praying together, and they were all on the same page, doing the same work. And then, when it grew from 120 to 3,000, we have that little part at the end of Acts chapter 2 that paints this picture, and it says that they were together. And it says that they were all devoted to the same things, and they were all working on the same things, and they were all moving in the same direction. And it says in that passage that 
the number of people who were coming to Christ, they were being added to this church daily. It was happening. And it was because the whole body was doing the work. We see the big picture here. Oh, we went from 3,000 and then there were 5,000. We see this. But what you can understand when you read a little closer, it's because the whole church was working together in one thing forward. And let's just point this out. Why in the middle? Why in the middle of these stories do we see Acts chapter 3? Why, why are we standing here and we have this message of the Holy Spirit comes and there's 3,000 people added to the church and then starting in Acts chapter 4 you see that another 2,000 were added to the church and you see the disciples. But what's right between those things? It was Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is a story of one. One. Not 3,000, not 2,000, not 120. One. We saw 3,000 in a day and many of us think, I can't do that. When we see stuff like this in Scripture, we go, I, I, I can't do that. You know what should encourage us and also intimidate us a little bit about Acts chapter 3? You can do that. <laughs> the question is, are you? You can do that. You can reach out to one. And you can never know what God might be doing through the one that you're reaching out to. You can do that. And so here's the deal. I've shared this with you before. When I, when I was studying about Weatherford and the area around us, you know, the statistics showed this from a couple of years ago. 44,000 people in Parker County claim to have no connection to God, no faith, no religion. So we can ba basically say it this way. There's 44,000 people that live around us that profess that they don't know who Christ is or anything about him. 44,000. Now, it would be awesome if I could figure out how to preach a message to bring 3,000 of them and then 2,000, oh, we'd all love that. But the truth is, that's probably not how this is going to work. How it's going to work is we're going to be able to go out there and reach people one at a time because what we see here is that the thousands that are, that are descriptive here in Scripture, the thousands are showing the work of the church. But the story of Acts chapter 3 is showing the work of an individual. And the church is a collection of individuals. And this church was a collection of individuals who were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to the fellowship. And that's where they were focused and pointed. And you see the work of the church happening, but we get Acts chapter 3, I believe, so that God can say, but let me show you what I can do with just one person. I can still change lives. I can still do something. So let me just share it this way. As each day of life passes, and I don't want you to miss this. If you don't hear anything else, I say focus in on this one. As I grow older every day, as I get to progress in my faith in Christ, and as I get to just grow as a person, as, as each day passes, I become more and more convinced that for, the, for those of us who profess to have a faith in Christ, that we are not left on this earth to grow in our faith. We're left on this earth to go in our faith. And there's a huge difference. And I just want to talk to you just a little bit about a system that we've built. You know, you see in this, you see in this passage that the religious people showed up, right? And the religious people showed up because, I love the word, because they were annoyed. They were annoyed that Peter and John were doing things that were drawing away from the religious system of the day. But let me just say something. If we're not careful, we can be like these people. 
We can get protective of a system that we've built or we can get protective of a way of doing things that we believe is right and we miss out what's happening in the bigger picture where God is working through the church, bringing people together and trying to accomplish things. You see, I actually grew up in a a church probably similar to like you guys where we rewarded a lot of activity. Bring your Bible, check. Invite someone, check. You bring a tithe, check. And we rewarded this. And if you think about it, we, we didn't necessarily talk a whole lot about how to go in our faith. That was something we brought that weird missionary in and he had the slideshows and he would show and you would pray a prayer like this, dear God, I'm glad you're using him, but please don't ever call me to do those type of things. Did you ever have that type of prayer? Because you're thinking, I don't know that I could ever do something like that. But the truth is you can. Because there's 44,000 lost people in Parker County, they live right next to you. You don't have to go to Africa. Just go to Albertsons. They're there. They're there right now, by the way, because they're not here. I just thought I'd share that with you as well. And that's who God's calling us to to go and to reach. And I'm just convinced. See, we we grew up in this system where we rewarded this, this Christian behavior. And listen to me very carefully. That is good stuff. You need Christian discipline to be able to grow in your faith. You need to be able to read your Bible and to pray and learn how to do that. But think about it this way. If we're left here to go more so than to grow, religion means this, that we, it's possible to build a system that makes people believe that they're growing and becoming more mature in Christ even though they've never shared their faith with anybody else. Statistics show us that 80 to 90% of people who are in America who profess to have faith in Christ have never once shared that faith with anybody else. We've built a system that allows people to believe that they're somehow walking with God, though they never talk to anyone else about it. Turn it around. If I am going in my faith, it's impossible for me not to be growing in my faith. Because if I love my neighbor enough to share the truth with them in love, and they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, then I'm going, hold on, I'm going to go figure that out. And then i got to go grow in my faith a little bit. And then I call them up and go, let's go to coffee. I've got some things to share with you about that, and we continue this conversation. You see, religion says that you can grow in your faith, but even though you don't have to share that with anybody else. That's what I say about that. But the truth is that we should be going in our faith because we will grow in our faith if we do that. In fact, I'd, go, I'd be as bold to say it this way. If you're not going, you're not growing. If you're not sharing it with somebody, and I love you, you may have checked all those boxes for the last 40 years of your life. You're not growing. You're becoming more religious, but you're not necessarily growing into the person that God wants you to be because there's 44,000 lost people around us who need someone to reach out to them. And the reason we have Acts chapter 3 in between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 is to show what God can do when one person reaches out to another one person and does what they can to meet their needs. That's it. So there's a principle here. You can fill this in in your outline. Do for one what you wish that you could do for everyone. Now Andy Stanley talked about this in a message where he was talking about dealing with poverty and dealing with hunger. But I think this goes just the same with sharing our faith. There's not a person in here who loves the Lord that wouldn't want to see the 44,000 lost people in Parker County come to Christ. And then we think, my word, how do we reach 44,000 people? I will tell you, 
one at a time. And so do for one of them what you wish you could do for all 44,000. And then when God is working with us in Parker County, let's go beyond that to the state and to the nation and to the world. How many of you believe that God can use this church right here to impact the globe? I do. I do. I absolutely do. And that's what we want to see happening. And it begins when we actually take it and say, I'm going to go in my faith. I'm not just going to focus on growing in some sort of a system. I'm actually going to go in my faith, and that's where I'm going to figure this out. Now, why do I say that? Because these were untrained and ordinary men. And all that they needed to do, they had been with Jesus. Now, some of you are already thinking, oh, but Lindell, I have no idea what to say. I got good news. John chapter 9. You can read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you this morning, but here's the basic thing. There was a man who was blind from birth that Jesus healed. And everybody was investigating. How did you get healed and what happened? And tell me about Jesus. And, and who is Jesus? And what do you know about Jesus? And what do you think about Jesus? And it finally gets to this point where the man born blind, he just stands up in front of everybody and says, look, look, here's what I know. I was blind and now I can see. That's what I know about Jesus. And nobody could debate it. But the whole town was forced to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? And what do I need to do with him? So if you can at least say, man, I used to be like this, and now I've got Christ in my life, and now I'm like this, you got it. Get after it. There you go. That's it. That's all you need. And then when somebody asks you a question, let me give you, you ready? I'm going to do evangelism training this morning. Everybody say this after me. I don't know, but I'll find out. You are now commissioned to evangelize Weatherford, Texas. Because when somebody asks you a question, you go, I don't know. You can go, that's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. But, man, you ask a good question, but I'll go back and, and figure this out, and I'll get back to you with an answer because I want to speak the truth to you in love. I want to do what Peter did. Even though there's thousands of people, I want to be the one who's helping the one go. That's what this is about. You wonder what you do after disciple now? That. When do you do it? Now. That's why it's called disciple now, not disciple later. Ha! Huh? Okay. <laughs> so how do we do this? We meet the needs of people with whatever we have available to us, okay? You just meet the needs of people with whatever you have available to us. A lot of times we get stuck and go, well, I don't have one of these. I don't have this. I don't know. Untrained, ordinary men. That's where they were. They just started loving on people and going. And so I want to say this about not just these students, but student ministry as a whole. Now, some of you may know this about me. My first 20 years in ministry were in student ministry. I've been out of full-time student ministry about 10 years, and it is totally different now. There is an unprecedented amount, and I'm not going to embarrass anyone or ask them to say, I'm just going to tell you something. There's an unprecedented amount of students who are coming from homes where they don't have two parents, where they might not have any parents involved, where their parents aren't in church, they're not bringing them to the background. And they're coming to our church, and we're reaching out to them, and they're doing stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. You want to be a missionary? Kevin invited you earlier, but I'm just going to say this. We need a missionary to parents of students in Weatherford, Texas. We need God to stir in one of your hearts to connect with these guys' parents and love on them and help them do stuff, help them connect. Because we're missing a generation, not in our church, in all churches, of my age people who decided they were smarter than church was. And now they're coming back going, oh my gosh, I've got kids and I don't know what to do. Well, guess what? We need a missionary to the parents of students as much as we need a missionary to the students. And I pray that God lays it on your heart and that you'll go and get that going. That's what we need. And all you got to do is walk up to Kevin and go, I'm going to be that missionary to parents of students. 
what do I do? He'll go, I don't know, but let's get on with this. And that's how this will start, is God will lay this on your heart. He'll do that. You know, you're already doing this. And here's the deal. If, if we want to see God reach the next generation, not just in student ministry, but in preschool and children, it's not that Kevin does a good job. It's not that Brittany does. It's that our church gets a heart to reach the mission field that God's giving to us. There's 30, 40 kids that come every Wednesday night. That's a mission field. There's hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands of kids that participate in schools in Weatherford. We have an opportunity to reach out to them. And so here's, the, here's my encouragement to you. If you're going, why, why are you on our case this morning, Pastor, about going? You know, because I'll say this, because I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting here going, you know, my faith, it's just not real exciting. I don't know that, man, Lindell, you seem all excited. You might even be sweating, but I'm like, settle down, man. I, how do I get involved? Let me just tell you this. The most exciting thing you'll ever do. The most exciting thing. Faith in Jesus is most exciting when you see it through the eyes of someone you invited. Faith in Jesus is most exciting when you see it through the eyes of someone you invited. If your faith in Jesus isn't exciting, I wouldn't ever embarrass you in this way to do it personally, but I would make the assumption that you're probably not active in going. That you're trying to figure out what box have I not checked in this religious system that makes me feel better about my faith? And the simple truth is, just start sharing it with somebody else. It'll get real exciting real fast. And when that person starts sitting next to you in church and starts asking you questions like, why y'all do that? What does that song mean? What's this Yahoo talking about up here? What? It gets real exciting all of a sudden. It's actually the most exciting thing you do in your faith. So, let's come back to this question I asked at first. Does God hear my prayers? <laughs> yes. God not only hears your prayers, he hears all that other stuff you don't want him to hear too. Yay! But God hears our prayers. And when we walk with him, with our hearts connected and unified in the same way that the disciples are walking him, we begin to see his power working in an incredible way. James 4, 2, and 3 tells us, a little bit of a picture why we might not see God answering our prayers all the time. It says this, you desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive it because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And I believe that's a little of a principle that says when we continue to keep asking God to do things in our life, but we're not trying to go and do things in the lives of others, that's a hard prayer for God to answer. I'm not saying he never does that. God loves you. God cares about your family. God cares about the things that you care about. But when we can just turn ourselves a little bit and say, I am left here not necessarily to grow in my faith as much as I am to go in my faith, then it changes everything. And we begin to see God do incredible things incredible things. It says in Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. You know, when we're praying to do the things that God has called us to do and left us to do, he's answering those prayers and we're moving and we're going forward in faith. Now, you may be sitting here today and go, I don't even know this Jesus that you're talking about, but man, you're excited about it. I'd like to maybe hear a little bit more about that. Let me just tell you, here, here's, here's what I know. What I know is that there was a point in my life 
when I came to a place that I realized that everything that I could do, think, invent, create on my own was unfulfilling. As smart as I thought I was, as happy as I thought I was, there was something missing. And so there reached a point where I said, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to start looking at your word, and instead of doing things my way, I'm going to start doing things your way. And I can tell you it's been the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I'd love to tell you more about it. It's still raining. I could, but I'm not. But I'd love to talk with you one-on-one. But here's the deal. If you've never made that decision, I would just encourage you to make that decision today. You don't have to know everything about it. You have to know that he loves you, that God sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could have a relationship with him, and that he has in mind what's best for you, and he wants to know you. And, and believers, if you know that, go and tell someone, and your faith will come alive, and it will be exciting. Quit worrying about all the things that are happening in your family. They're happening in my family, too. Quit worrying about the things that are happening at work. It happens at my work, too, and I work here. Okay? Quit worrying about that. Just get focused on saying, God, you're going to take care of all these things. I'm just going to go and share with others. I'm going to just put my trust in you. I want to do something different. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to do our response time just a little bit different this morning. As you're, you're sitting here with your heads bowed, and we're not going to do this long because the students would go to sleep after a long weekend if we bowed our heads too long. But Let's just bow our heads for a moment, and the blank that you missed is, who is your one? Who is the one? Well, I know my OCD friends out there who want to fill that blank in. Who's the one? And as you're sitting here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to pray that God would lay one person on your heart that you would be willing to go to. Maybe someone in your family, maybe someone you don't even know personally, but you just kind of have seen them sometimes. And for our response today, when God has laid someone on your heart, and you would say, God, I want, I want to go and begin to reach out to this person. If you're willing to do that, then as Hal's going to lead us in a course, and you just stand to your feet. And say, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this one. God may call you to one here. God may call you across the globe later, but it's going to start with one. So I just invite you, as that one comes to mind, if you would make that commitment before God to say, I'm going to do what I can to share with them what I know about you, would you stand to your feet? And how is going to lead us in this course as we pray and as we head in that direction?